this episode of The Interface, I speak with Peter Chung and Louis Mungin, two of our MBA interns this summer. Peter is a student at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, and Lewis is a student at the Yale School of Management. We talk about their previous education and work experiences before they pursued their MBAs. We talk about their internship experience at Times Microwave Systems for Peter and at corporate headquarters for Lewis. We talk about bringing their newfound knowledge and appreciation of the Amphenolian culture back to school with them as they complete their degree over the next year. And of course, we talk about their Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. We'll just get started. You guys ready? Sounds good. All right, good. Let's do this. So Peter and Lewis, thank you for uh, joining me today on The Interface podcast as we get to talk to a couple of our MBA interns who spent the summer at some of our Amphenol locations, and we'll talk to more of them soon in some upcoming episodes. But today I'm joined by Peter and Lewis. Uh, first, I want to thank you guys for coming on board. Um, so first of all, uh, we'll start with Peter, Peter Chung, who is an MBA student at, uh, at Kellogg at Northwestern. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get here to Amphenol? We'll just start with, we'll start from uh, after high school first, and then working up to your MBA program. Well, Chris, thanks for having us. Um, you know, originally from Chicago and, and always had a, a desire to serve. Uh, I was going to be, a, I was trying to be a pilot at first, but I had terrible eyes at the time. And so I couldn't join the, any, the, the Navy or the Air Force, but uh, the Army did accept me when I got accepted into West Point. And yeah. So uh, majored in engineering management uh, and then served for five years in the military as an engineering officer, uh, deployed in 2013 in Afghanistan. So yeah. Everything that's going on is fantastic right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. That being said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, left the military in, in 2015 uh, and had five, you know, had five years in the corporate workforce and different roles uh, regarding uh, tech sales, consulting, along with some uh, general management at a startup, and uh, started my MBA. But uh, how I ended up at Amphenol is that at a, a veterans career conference at Kellogg, uh, was introduced to Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no little to no background as far as what Amphenol did. Um, yeah. My first interaction was Ed, and <laughs> it seemed like it was a very cool opportunity. And uh, sure enough, it was. So here I am this summer uh, here in Wallingford. I'm going to go back to your your first part there about uh, growing up in Chicago uh, and then deciding to join the the military. What was it about that that intrigued you and interested you um, from being a high school student? Because it is. Clearly, you know, it is a major commitment. I mean, you have to do a lot of work just to get into it, um, not only to be medically qualified, but just academically qualified, you know, letters and recommendations from Congress people. So how did you, what prompted you to go that route? Yeah, I, I think my my upbringing is, is sort of being first-generation Americans. My parents immigrated uh, from Korea. And so the fact that I was able to grow up uh, in, in the States, it, it always sort of weighed heavily on me and, and you know, I wanted to give back in some sorts. Um, that wasn't my entire, you know, upbringing as far as that, but like once I started to understand the values of the country and everything, and as far as you know, growing up, I, I definitely just wanted to serve in some way, shape or form. If, if it wasn't West Point, I was, I was going to do an ROTC program. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, my, my fascination with flight, like I wanted to be a pilot through and through. Like even to this day, I, I can name all aircraft that are flying, their capabilities and everything else. Um, but, you know, unfortunately had terrible eyes. <laughs> so it's since gotten LASIK since then, yeah. but, uh, you know, the timing just didn't work out in that regard. 
What was it about engineering that intrigued you then? Or was it just, well, I guess this is going to be good enough? Yeah, if it wasn't if it wasn't going to flight school, it, it, I wanted to do something that sort of did a that touched on a lot of things. And so it's it's funny because engineers in the army are known as the jack of all trades, master of none. So we can do the infantry tactics, we can do you know we can operate Bradleys, we can do a lot of the, the different you call it combat arms operations. Right. But at the same time, we also have a civil operation when it comes to the construction side of things, when it comes to the infrastructure. Uh, meanwhile, if you look at some of the peers that are coming from the infantry on our side, they can't do what we do. So that, right. that's how we sort of go back at them at times. <laughs> and so just really wanted something that sort of went across the range. And, and sure enough, in my experience, I touched on all of that. Wait, hold on. There's rivalries in the military amongst the groups? No, I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm very familiar, uh, yeah. fortunately and unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so then you got out, you did... You said uh, you did some tech sales. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what did you do during that time? Yeah, so I when I when I transitioned out, there was actually a naval academy grad uh, that was working at the company that I that I that I got inter- got an interview for and, and got into, um, who was with this this call it the CAE company. So obviously, CAD makes it look sexy. CAE mm-hmm. determines if that sexiness is feasible. Yeah. And so when it comes to the software of being able to simulate some of the, the actual engineer structure type things, is it feasible? Will it hold that load? Our software sort of helped you know, simulate that prior to a, uh, you know, a model being built. And so did that for about three years. I was very fortunate to have a, a fantastic uh, boss who really took me under his wing and, and really taught me the ropes when it comes to the corporate side, a little on the sales side. Mm-hmm. And so just having to you know, leverage my engineering background to then use that for, for software sales, talking with PhDs when it comes to material science, PhDs when it comes to uh, you know, en- engine, mechanical engineers. You know, it, obviously, I did not have the, the, the depth of knowledge as, as they did, but uh, similar to the engineers in the Army, like, you know, I, was just, I just knew enough to be dangerous. Mm, right, right. Jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly. So what was it then that prompted you to finally decide to try business school? You know, I, I think after a few years in the corporate sector um, and, and coming from the military, there's definitely some things that are, that are very translatable to the military and, de- and there are things that definitely aren't. Um, and so I'd never gotten exposed to, you know, call the finance, the financial side of things. Mm-hmm. And so even though ops, I had a pretty, you know, I felt that I had a pretty good you know, grasp on and, and the sales and the people skills I, and leadership, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on. I knew there were some some blind spots, and so decided it was you know in order to sort of address those, uh, MBA would be the best way. And sure enough, even when I got to you know grad school, it wasn't even just the finance, even ops. I knew I, I had a terrible grasp on it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of those things, just being able to learn uh, some of the the key skills that that business leaders in, in today's world especially leverage throughout. All right, very good. We'll come back to the internship here in just a second. We'll shift gears. To Lewis. So, Lewis, uh, tell us where you grew up and how you got into uh, college. I know you went to University of Virginia, but then just kind of your progression working up to uh, your MBA program. Absolutely. Um, so, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, lots of family there in, in Virginia in general. So, wanted to stay in state for both uh, family ties and fiscal reasons sure. uh, so led me to University of Virginia. Um, there I double majored in economics and psychology and really kind of 
through those uh, degrees got exposed to using data for various contexts. And that led me to then pursue a master's in data science right after completing my undergrad. Um, and then going into the practice of data science uh, as a data scientist for a property and casualty insurance company um, based out of Richmond, Virginia for the next five years. And through, through that role, I had to work across a number of product lines with different product owners, um, different business units, getting to kind of see how they look at their P&L, pull different levers in terms of revenues and costs. And that really intrigued me um, to want to learn more about business and the application of like data to specific um, business problems to help those business leaders drive results. And ultimately that's what led me back to business school was I, I found myself leaning more towards an interest in the, the business side of things and that, or ultimately the PNL uh, more so than the pure data side of things. So then I ended up yeah, applying to Yale School of Management, got uh, got lucky to get in, I'll say. And then, um, yeah, that, that brought me to, uh, to where I am today. I think one of the things certainly in common with most, if not all, MBA students is a high level of curiosity, um, especially after you've been, you know, you finish your undergrad, you work for a little bit, and both of you kind of mentioned the same exact thing. And I'll raise my hand and say it was the same for me. I was just curious to how all this came together, right? And, and I feel that you guys had the same thing. You just, your your interest is peaked in, well, how does the, you know, how does this whole mechanism, how do all these gears fit together to run a, you know, capital B business? And I can see that in both of you. Now, your level of curiosity certainly started when you were an undergraduate and that you had a double major in economics and psychology. Those to me seem like two radically different uh, fields of study, but I, I'm guessing there may be something in them that's common, that, that there's a thread between them. Is there? You're, you're making an assumption that is correct. Ah, okay. Um, economics, uh, traditional models love to assume that humans are rational. And I think you walk out the door in the morning, by the end of the day, you're going to have some evidence that we are not. Yeah. Um, so really there's, there's a like growing field of like behavioral economics that kind of links the economics models to actual human behavior mm -hmm. um, where they don't operate purely off of expected value. If I offer you a 50, 50 or 51% chance to make a million dollars, but 49% chance you lose a million dollars, that's a positive expected value, but I don't know many people that would take that bet. Right. Um, so economists would call that irrational, but psychology would help explain that through uh, risk aversion, just inherent in most uh, humans. So did the data science portion of it continue that thread or was that different enough from both economics and psychology that it was just an addition to? Data science is a very, very broad term. It, yeah. Like or using data can be applied across many different fields. Um, so I think the way I, I ended up using, using data at an insurance company didn't necessarily directly apply to kind of human nature um, that much. But what we did find is that data can kind of refute 
uh, assumptions mm. that that folks make about like the nature of the business and their interactions with um, insurance brokers, things things of that nature. So I, I don't want to dive too deeply into those technical details, but I guess this is one one example. Yeah. Um, folks, there are underwriters at my old company thought that they would they renewed large policies at a much lower rate than other policies because it's it's the the brokers want to get the best deals on that business they're try, constantly trying to steal business from one another it's competitive etc and it turns out that's just not the case when you actually examine the data so there's really kind of interesting avenues you can explore um, whenever you have conversations with people and then try to kind of prove their assumption and find out that it's the opposite of what you expect. Mm. It's fascinating stuff. That's for sure. But I can see again, why your curious mind <laughs> that, that leads me to believe like you want to know more about how all of this works, hence getting into, uh, you know, the MBA program at Yale. So how did you find Amphenol then, or did they find you for your internship? Yeah, so going into the MBA program, I knew that I was looking for leadership development programs. I wanted to really get into the business um, side of things and uh, ended up attending a career fair that uh, Klaus and Ed were both attending. So I dropped in. It was unfortunately a virtual career fair due to kind of circumstances of the past uh year and a half or so and um, sat down at their virtual table and the rest is history. And they, they uh, really made Amphenol sound like a great place to work. Turns out it is a great place to work. And yeah, it was fortuitous to, to definitely find them. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad you both were able to get here. So uh, let me ask you uh, this then, and this is for both of you, uh, but I'll start with you, Lewis. Did you have any idea who Amphenol was before you started searching for an internship? Before I started searching for an internship, no, I'd, I'd never heard of Amphenol. And yeah. quite frankly, when I first heard, heard of it, I thought uh, it was a medical company based on the name. You were one of the thousands that have thought that. <laughs> How about you, Peter? I had never heard of it. Um, and that's coming from, you know, from the military where they have like, tons of connectors and whatnot. So just never even crossed my mind. It never crossed your mind, but you used their connectors probably every day that you were deployed and had no idea. That is correct. Yeah. So I'll stick with you, Peter. You then come to Amphenol, you get your internship, and you get assigned to go to Times Microwave Systems in Wallingford, Connecticut. Same building as headquarters, so that's kind of a win-win, too. You get to at least network with some some good people there. So what what was your role at Times this past summer? What was your internship all about? So my internship this summer was really taking a look at the 5G market as a whole. Uh, obviously, there's a whole lot of activity going on in that realm, both on the component space, on the network space, whatever it may be, and really taking a look at to see where times falls in um, and just taking a look at where the, the new trends are based on some of our fortes, where we fit in the best. And so um, it was one of those things where I, you know, before I accepted the internship, you know, Ed, Ed and Klaus do a very good job of trying to match personalities mm-hmm. uh, with the type of projects that the businesses have available. Right. And as soon as they told me about that aspect of it, I, I straight up told them I have no experience when it comes to telecom or 5G as a whole. 
regardless, I am still very interested because I, I love the broad aspect of it and, and actually providing some sort of impact for the company. And so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say my experience thus far has been fantastic. Uh, just being able to, to take a deeper dive into something that I had never known before. And then just actually, you know, hopefully by the end of it, providing some value for, for the folks here at Times. How about you, Lewis? What was your role in the internship program this summer? So my role this summer, I worked in corporate IT, um, looking at essentially how can corporate IT support the decentralized nature of Amphenol um, with some additional software products, uh, as well as um, some additional kind of cybersecurity um, con- controls. So looked into the internal control self-assessment process, working with uh, Pedro Lay and then, or Sherver Guy on the IT audit side of, uh, of that, um, or those processes. And then also worked with uh, mostly Adriana, um, Triantis and Derica to look into uh, the BPC consolidation system mm-hmm. at corporate. Um, and ultimately, yeah, looking at kind of how those processes currently work, how they may look, be able to be a little bit more efficient in the future, and what solutions could get us there. What was the biggest challenge for you in this role? So I would say the biggest challenge um, was really wrapping my head around both the financial consolidation as well as internal audit processes, not having a background in either of those domains. So getting or taking the time to kind of get that background knowledge as well as understand how uh, kind of those processes work at Amphenol, talking to folks across many different divisions who are very generous uh, with their time to help me really get a grasp on um, yeah, what, what the processes are and or answer all my background questions. So that was, I think probably the biggest challenge of summer is really jumping into a completely new domain. Were you largely left to your own devices once you were given a task, uh, once you were given a project, uh, where it was, here's roughly what we're looking for, go figure it out. Yes, I would, I would definitely say it was, uh, take the ball, run with it type of situation, which was really what, what Klaus and Ed were uh, kind of selling the Amphenol culture to be. It was right. high performance, accountability um, for the results. And that's what that's what was delivered. So it was, it was great to have that freedom to really run with the processes and um, not have to run uh, a small decision through a crazy chain of command uh, as as it is in some other places. Which segues nicely into the former army officer, Peter, who knows about chain of command very well <laughs> and having to run the smallest decisions uh, up and down the chain of command. So for you, what was the biggest challenge for you uh, when you started doing this 5G project for TMS? Um, I, I think it sort of goes back to what we were talking about with Lewis as far as you know, part of that decentralization is the fact that everyone's spread out and sort of have their own thing going on. And so the challenge is sort of wrapping my head around, like, who can I talk to? Even though it was a times-only type of uh, project, it, it definitely does apply to Anthenol as oh, a yeah. whole. And right, right. most companies are looking into this as well. And so just being able to, to get the contacts, uh, it, it definitely takes a little bit more effort. Uh, of digging and then networking 
you know, probably by design, right, when it comes to reaching out to folks and figuring out, you know, who the experts are. So that, that was the main thing. But once you started, you know, figuring out what the norms were, like who to, who to sort of reach out to that might have a, a good map of where everyone is, it, then it obviously got very simple. You had a good mentor too and Ben Reed. I think he understands the process that you're going through. I'm sure the same way. You guys have both talked about it, um, the decentralization part and the, and the entrepreneurialship of Amphenol. For both of you, was that something that was eye-opening to you or was it daunting or both? I love it. Uh, so previous to this role, I, I was in a startup. Uh, and so when it comes to, you know, what's the beauty of a startup? It's, it's okay, we have a problem. Let's figure it out and let's execute. And so when, when Ed and Klaus sort of told me about that decentralized entrepreneurial approach, I was, you know, a little skeptics, right? If you look at a company that's $9, 10000000000 billion, or maybe, and then you still, oh, yeah, we have a very startup entrepreneurial task, you know, culture. I was like, Yep, sure you do. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and so so seeing it in person, um, it's fantastic, and 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 sort of I I love that aspect because it's reflected in all of our internships. You're very broad directive, go down whatever rabbit hole you want to and need to, and then come back with some results. And so that I I am a huge fan, and it could be daunting to some, but I think most people that came on board really love it. How about you, Lewis? Yeah, I, I would echo echo Peter's sentiment. Uh, I came from a company that had actually originally operated kind of in a decentralized fashion and then decided to centralize itself and went through or was still going through that process uh, when I left. So kind of hearing about Amphenol's decentralized nature, it was very intriguing to me to kind of see the opposite side of that coin. What if everything stays decentralized? And once again, kind of from, from the business uh, MBA case perspective, you see, wow, there's kind of some redundant costs across the organization, but then you get to really see how that shapes the culture and leads to accountability, entrepreneurship, and ultimately the massive growth that Amphenol's had. It segues perfectly into what I was going to ask you next is, which is, what are you going to take back? To school when you start school back up in your in your MBA program at Yale, having learned what you've learned over the, the past few months working at Amphenol, understanding how this company, this culture, this Amphenolian way works, how will that enhance you do you think your studies over the next year as you finish up? Yeah, I will say that whenever I approach a case in school, generally I was I'm very data oriented, so I'd be very interested in the, the math, the numbers behind things, and I would shy away a little bit from diving too deep into kind of the, the how the structure uh, influences culture and how that culture propels business results. So coming from Amphenol this summer and seeing really how all of that interacts to produce the fantastic results that Amphenol has achieved. I'm really going to make sure to set aside the time and effort to kind of think through not only math and the financials, but also really the the culture and how the organization structure is going to uh, support the end goals. Peter, how about you? The most critical thing I take back is that uh, the decentralized way when it comes to Amphenol is like a leader is a, is very much a leadership case study mm. when you think about it. And so, yeah. You know, it's very easy as MBA students uh, to, as, as Lewis mentioned, to look at, oh, there's a lot of redundant costs. Like we could, we could eliminate a lot of these things, sure, in the short run. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at how 
the business is structured, how much autonomy these general managers have, how much autonomy these business units have. And it's more of uh, you know, there's certain metrics that are have, have to be hit, but no one tells them how they have to get there. It, I think it's a case study as far as how effective that can be when off the bat, it's very easy to say that centralized is better. Obviously, when you look at it, the, the military coming from that background, uh, you know, you can argue either way, but there's a lot of case studies about how, um, you know, centralized is the way and a lot of rules, but then mm-hmm. a company, even the size of Amphenol, having that capability, that flexibility to do it, I, I think it's something that's worth talking about and, and examining some more when it comes to whatever, whatever you know, engagements that we have with, with our fellow students. No, I'm very glad that you two, uh, amongst others, got to experience it because, I mean, of course, I'm biased because I've been a part of this company for 18 years, but I just find it incredibly unique, incredibly rewarding, and allows people who want to strive for excellence to do exactly that and largely chart their own uh, career path. And it's it's phenomenal to be a part of. So I'll get off the soapbox here, but I, I'm with you guys. I'm with you. And, and um, I echo a lot of the same sentiments that you guys uh, have shared with me today. So now... I know you're not familiar with this podcast, um, but we end this with getting to know you guys a little bit personally. Lewis, you're going to benefit from this. And Peter, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So Lewis, you're going to have a chance to think about what you want to say. All right. So Peter, I'll start with you. I stick you on a desert island by yourself for a, you know, a, a period of time. We'll say a couple months. But I allow you to bring with you one album, one book, and one movie to entertain you. We'll start with the album. Which album would you bring with you? An album? You know, growing up, I wasn't like a huge music fan, but I, the first thing that comes top of mind, uh, this, this, might, this might be very unpopular, um, is, is Blink-182, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Enema of the State was, is a good one, and even, even every once in a while when I'm working out and that album comes on, it's yeah. like, yes, that's a great workout, like motivating album right there. All right, little punk pop. I like it from the late 90s. <laughs> How about uh, a book? What book would you bring with you? You know, the book that I would bring, I wouldn't bring Harry Potter, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'd provide a lot of value for me. Um, it could be value or entertainment, and entertainment, I guess there's a certain value in that, but what would uh, keep you occupied I mean, you can go like the survival's guide route, um, or you can go, you know, you know, a juicy biography, like say on Grant or something like that, or you know, a former, uh, a fellow West Point grad. I'm not trying to put ideas in your head, but you know, you know, there, there was, it's, it's even like regardless of whether or not this to keep me entertained, but the first book that always sort of comes to my mind, um, it's, geez, the title I forgot about, it, but but it's about the history of the FBI. Okay. Um, and, and the only reason I bring that up because it talked about how the organization as a whole shifted from a pre-9-11 domestic crime fighting law enforcement agency into a global uh, crime, you know, law enforcement agency where if there's any Americans involved, that, then they're the, they're the go-to institution that sort of investigates that. And so when it comes to an organization like that, adjusting from that, you know, from 9-11 to, to what it is today and some of the in, some of the activities that some of these agents had to go through, you know, I, I think that has a good amount of range of things that they did to keep me entertained as far and maybe even could apply to survivability. I don't know. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so nice and juicy. Yeah. I, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Lots of things to, to think about and ponder on. Uh, how about a movie? This is so cliche with my background, but I love the movie Black Hawk Down. Like I, it's, <laughs> okay. I can quote a lot of the, the stuff going on. Like, yeah, I just lo- I can just watch that movie over and over. Three great choices. Well done. Okay, you're off the hook now. Thank you. All right, Lewis, you've had a couple minutes to think about this as I've reviewed with Peter. So we'll start with the album. What album would you choose to spend time with on a desert island? I'm going to go with uh, Leonard Skinner's Greatest Hits. All right. That will get, certainly get keep all, you all entertained. the best ones. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So nothing like playing Freebird on a deserted island by yourself. I can can air guitar where like nobody's watching because they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. How about a book? I would say uh, probably Catch-22. Oh, great book. It's one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life, and it's also uh, incredibly disturbing the more it goes on, but it's a fantastic book. How about a movie? Catch-22? Uh, that's, that's no from me there. <laughs> uh, I would have to say Gladiator. Nice. Okay. At least you will be entertained. <laughs> yes, I will. Perfect. Well, listen, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to do this today, uh, Peter and Lewis. Um, I am glad that you guys had really great experiences uh, working for Amphenol this summer. And my best of luck to both of you as you complete your, your NBA over the next year. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it.